Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Sunday, January 21st. What is up, everybody? Hope you guys are having an awesome week. We got a lot to talk about today, and as you guys can see by the title of the episode, we are going to be doing a deep dive on one of the hottest teams in the NBA, the Oklahoma City Thunder, with my guy, Ian Kayanja, who you guys might remember from an earlier episode of Words with Wallace. But before we can get into that, I did just want to do a quick open on the Pacers-Raptors trade we had earlier this week. Give my thoughts on both sides of the deal before we loop in Ian to talk some thunder. So let's get right into it. And if you guys missed it, there was a pretty significant trade that sent Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors over to the Indiana Pacers. So the full details of the trade are as follows. The Pacers received Pascal Siakam as well as a future second round pick via the Pelicans. And the Raptors received Bruce Brown, Kira Lewis, Jordan Nuwara, two conditional first round picks in addition to a 2026 first round pick. So in summary, three first round picks with protections headed over to the Toronto Raptors. Plus Bruce Brown, I'm not too interested in Kira Lewis or Jordan Nuwara. Uh, but that's a pretty big haul. And so my initial reaction when I saw that deal in exchange for Pascal Siakam was I hated it, right? Because Pascal Siakam, well, he's obviously a solid player, somebody that, of course, was a really important part of that 2019 Raptors championship team. He's only got the rest of the season left on his contract, right? So you're looking at a few month rental of Pascal Siakam potentially, and that is a really steep price to pay. So I absolutely hated the deal at first until about an hour after the deal went through and I saw it on Twitter. I saw Bobby Marks of ESPN report uh, that essentially he made it clear that the Pacers were not going to have the cap space to sign Pascal Siakam in the offseason. Uh, it really was impossible based on some of the contract situation that they have. They simply didn't have the room for it. And then actually after that as well, it was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski, also of ESPN, that Pascal was apparently extremely excited about going to the Indiana Pacers and excited about the potential to re-sign with the team this offseason. So obviously that's early reports, but you know those are two pretty big nuggets that I think are important to mention this deal that, hey, the Pacers were not going to have the cap space to sign Pascal Siakam. As of right now, and there's still plenty of this season left to go, Pascal's happy to be in Indiana, and it's looking like if Woj is reporting on it. Uh, at this point in time, it's more likely than not that he is going to re-sign with the Pacers. So how does that change the thoughts on the deal? Well, I like it a lot more from the Pacers' side, obviously, knowing that. Uh, it's really cool to see a team that's in, you know, the frisky tier, if you will, if you remember my episode from last week, go out and, and get a complimentary player to their young emerging star in Tyrese Halliburton. I think he's Siakam's going to be a really nice fit alongside Tyrese being a nice secondary scoring option. I'm sure Tyrese is going to love setting up Pascal Siakam. I expect to see a lot of pick and rolls with those guys moving forward. And then most importantly, he's going to be a big boost on defense. I know he might not be the same defensive player he was a, a year or two ago or whatever, uh, but that being said, he's still a really solid defender and one of the best defenders that they're going to have on a Pacers team that desperately needs to find a way to get stops. I'd expect him to cut into the Obi Toppin, you know, Isaiah Jackson minutes pretty significantly. He's obviously going to be starting in the front court alongside Miles Turner. So I think it makes sense that the Pacers went out and got their guy. Obviously, three firsts is a, a lot to pay, but Pascal is still a really talented player. So knowing that, I think it's actually a really good deal for both sides. I feel like just like the previous Raptors trade that we talked about, it's another team where both uh, sides are really going to benefit a lot. And it's a really good haul for the Raptors to get for Pascal Siakam. Getting three first-round picks for a dude that only has a few months left on his contract, I really like that. And the final nugget is that 
the Raptors received Bruce Brown in this deal as well, who you guys probably remember was in a really important part of the Nuggets championship team, uh, playing a, you know, a role player type of guy for that Nuggets team last year that signed with Indiana on a two-year deal this past offseason. That guy's looking real tradable right now because Toronto is certainly not going to compete for anything this year, especially now that they've moved on from Pascal Siakam. So I'd expect Bruce Brown to be kept you know, nice and warm for a couple of weeks. And then I expect them to move on from Bruce Brown. You know, maybe a team like Philly could be really interested in the services of Bruce Brown. Who knows? But I would expect him to get moved as well, which is, you know, really going to add even more compensation that the Raptors are going to be able to recoup. So interesting trade. Always fun when we get some trade action a few weeks before the NBA tread deadline in mid to late February. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that update. And now let's loop in Ian. Coming live right after the Chiefs-Bills game. And as you guys can tell, if you read the title of the episode, I am joined by my good friend and former colleague, Ian Kayanja. Ian, how you doing on this fine Sunday night, my guy? Oh, I'm well. I'm basking in the tears of Josh Allen's failure <laughs> and just telling everybody I was right yet again. See, I, I looked at it through the lens of just, you know, we have to start off with some football talk, I guess, because that game was awesome. I thought we were headed to another, like, overtime debacle between the Chiefs and the Bills, but then Tyler Bass just sold. So I'm, I'm just more upset with the kickers, but you're probably right on that. What is he, 0-3 against Mahomes in the playoffs? In, in the playoffs, time? yep. The only time he beats him is in the regular season. And, and look, I'm as tired as, of the Chiefs as everybody else, but I was thinking long-term, and I actually wanted Josh Allen to win this game just so that Lamar could beat the brakes off of him next week and silence any Josh Allen is better than Lamar talk. Um, but but I guess we'll just have Lamar is better than Mahomes. I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, you got to take that for now, and then you know, and then we can all take solace in the fact that Taylor Swift has to go to Baltimore next weekend, and uh, we'll we'll call it at that. But uh, and then and then we'll get into guest lines later, right? Since it's a Sunday night pod, no, I'm kidding. Uh, we are going to obviously we're bringing in Ian. I should announce that, of course, if you guys remember Ian, he joined us around this time last year uh, when he was a credentialed media member for covering the Dallas Mavericks. And you're going to see a lot more jubilance out of Ian tonight, I predict, because Ian was a, was a working man when we had him on the podcast. <laughs> he was doing what he what he's paid to do, and that was cover the Mavericks. But he has been freed from having to cover the Dallas Mavericks, a team that he has not supported. That is not where his true fandom lies. But he is a diehard fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, who are off to a fantastic start this season. So we had to bring on Ian. Ian has, of course, covered over 10 different professional teams, if my math is correct, uh, of eight for A to Z Sports, D Magazine, Sports Illustrated. USA basketball and many other stops along the way so Ian knows what he's talking about and let's just kind of kick it off by saying man how has uh the start to the season uh for the Thunder been in your opinion so far what has been like oh, being a man. Thunder fan early on so or coming into the year I I did my uh annual um season predictions and I actually predicted that the Thunder would finish ninth or 10th I thought they'd be a play-in team again this year um, just because I didn't know what to expect out of Chet Holmgren. But the fact that Chet, after he was hurt during his real rookie year, and now he's a redshirt rookie, and, and you can see what a year of just rehab and working out did for him as a player, uh, the, the way that he hit the ground running in terms of being an NBA-ready big, and kind of quelled any worries you had about him holding up at center. I mean, Oklahoma City, it's a uniquely small, small starting five in that they don't have a true, true like center archetype of when you think of centers like the Jonas Valanciunas types, the Kevon Looney's, the kind of big, burly bruisers. 
but what Chet Holmgren allows, because Chet Holmgren has length, and, and that's what OKC has a lot of. It has a lot of guys that are, you know, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", with crazy, crazy length. And, and then you have Chet anchoring the middle, who's seven feet tall, can can play vertica- vertically very well, and, and actually does quite well against matchups against centers that are that are a lot bigger than him. And so he's he's unlocked a new level um, for, of type of basketball that OKC can play, um, where they can play fast, they they can get SGA going downhill, and and I think the biggest thing that Chet did to at the start of the season was his shooting. It, I I didn't think he'd be as good of an NBA shooter as he is, but the fact that he's a guy that that can hit threes consistently and create a lot of his own shots has opened up the floor for a lineup that doesn't necessarily fit perfectly together on the offensive end of the ball. Absolutely, man. And and it's, that is the the difference maker to this team. Cause like you, I mean, that's saying something from you. Cause I actually had them in the play in race as well. Cause I knew a lot of people were so high on this team, but I'm like, Hey, you know, unless Chet is just unbelievable right out the gate, they still didn't really do anything to address their big man depth or lack thereof before the season yet. As we're, you know, sitting down to record right now, they're 29 and 13. They're the number two seed in the Western Conference. Uh, just one game back of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And as again, as we sit here and record on Sunday, January 21st, uh, it's one night after the, the Thunder actually played a really tough game during what's been a brutal stretch for them in January. They've been flying all across the country. They have like an, 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 a, an, a league high mark in back-to-backs, I think I saw on the broadcast last night all during I the month of January. they have their Delta Sky miles, man. They, yeah, they, dude, they, are, the <laughs> they are racking up those miles. I wish I had wrote it down because they mentioned that in the broadcast as well. But again, they actually played the Wolves last night at the Target Center in Minneapolis and came away with a really huge win. And kind of like what we were talking about, you know, that's a that's a huge test, not only for the sake of being one game back from them in the standings, but it's a huge test because you would think Minnesota with all their size would be in a really good spot to exploit some of those weaknesses of OKC. Mm-hmm. Yet they were able to come back after, you know, make a huge comeback after being down the entire second half and win a hundred uh, to 97 on a really, in really dramatic fashion with Anthony Edwards missing all three free throws, three seconds left in the game that could have tied it. But overall, man, I know you were dialed in for that game last night. You know, what did the win against that Minnesota team, you know, really tell you about your thunder? Well, I, I had a good chuckle because uh, Anthony Edwards had a quote after the game where he was basically like, of course, the thunder are good when they're getting all the calls. Whoa. And um, I forget uh, the name of the reporter. I, I know his first name's Brandon, but he covers the thunder a lot for the uh, Daily Thunder. And he quote tweeted Ant Edwards quote, and he said that in the entire matchup, Minnesota has actually, in, in their three games they've played, Minnesota has taken more free throws than the Thunder. I found that quite funny. He's one of my favorite players, but he's Absolutely. also one of those irrational talkers. And I think that's also why I, I feel endeared to him, because I see a little bit of myself back in the day where I used to just be talking. <laughs> I don't even know I if I believe that, Ian. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> but to, to the point of that game, to me, it, it highlighted that though the Thunder, uh, they have their deficiencies, and through the first three quarters, you certainly saw them, they do have a winning formula or or a winning recipe that they can go to down the stretch of every game that I think bodes well for the playoffs. Funny enough, I, I do think that this team is kind of built to function is like you know how closing pitchers are where in in baseball they have like two pitches and and so that's why they can't pitch for more than like an inning and a half because once you've seen their stuff you know it um the thunder kind of feel like that where 
a, a part of them feels one step away, but they also know the way that they can win games. And and as long as those as long as those two pitches are working, and and for the Thunder that is that high screen and roll with Chet and SGA, and as long as Jalen Williams is is cutting and and getting to the basket, I don't think there is a team that can stop them in the half court late in games. They they there's too many offensive options. Funny enough, for a team that doesn't have the best shooters on the floor. And, and I find that so fascinating. And that win over Minnesota really showed me that. That and the SGA is the best clutch player in the league right now. There's really no question about that. About that, Because I think that's the lead in, in a takeaway from a game last night. And I know the Timberwolves are obviously a great team in their own right, right? I mean, they're, they've been atop the Western Conference for you know probably going on two months now at this point. Uh, but that being said, their biggest, you know, if you wanted to poke holes in Minnesota, you would talk about their half-court offense and their late-game offense. And the Thunder... Definitely do not have either of those problems when you have, you know, possibly the best and the most dangerous score in the league right now in SGA. And his ability to just repeatedly get to his spots, and it, it sounds cliche, and you could probably say this about a lot of guys, but there really is, no, I don't know if there's anybody better at SGA right now at getting to their spots, getting the shots that he looks, and it, it just it seems like they're consistently executing at a higher level despite the inexperience on this Thunder team. And I think it just kind of goes to show that, like, you know, in addition to the fact that, you know, SGA has been clearly a leader and, and revolutionary this season, you know, the vibes in this team are really high. And I think we were we were texting a little bit about this yesterday. Like, it just seems like the guys are, are really, you know, fond of each other. It seems like the chemistry is off the charts. They know where to go with the ball on the court. Off the court, they seem uh, like a pretty joyous group. So I know that you follow the team certainly closer than I do. Is that something that you've seen uh, in watching this team? So after the game yesterday, Nick Gallo did his typical um, interview with SGA or they tip the Thunder broadcast typically just picks a leading score from the game to talk to. They did SGA and behind them, Jalen Williams is there pointing at SGA saying he's the MVP. Um, it's moments like that. I, I also, since I follow like all of, all of the players on social media, you see a lot of their stories that they actually hang out with each other. And I was telling a, a buddy of mine that this Thunder team reminds me of a college basketball team that stayed together for like three years and all their best players are like juniors and seniors and they just like hanging out with each other and they and they actually do hang out with each other and it was cool because you saw Chet Holmgren while they were in uh, Minneapolis he got his jersey retired it's a packed gym one I mean Chet Holmgren's there he's, he's coming to get his jersey retired but to see every player on the roster and Sam Presti and coaches all be there it's a group that likes each other and that matters for for as much as like chemistry can be overblown in the league especially in discussions about teams it's like it's like this it's like you don't have to love who you work with but you can you do a lot better work when you do like the people you work with and do teams find a way to win when they don't like each other yes but it's infinitely harder right like the early 2000s Lakers, they did not like each other, but Shaq and Kobe found a way to win because they had more talent. But when you don't have the best talent in the league, you need to have a team that likes each other because that's how the sum of the parts can be better than any individual. And that's what actually what I think makes the Thunder such a dangerous team is that they like each other. And, and so then the deficiencies on the roster may are, are covered up and, and the, each guy is willing to do that extra thing, take that extra step, um, run that extra extra length of the court. And it's those little things that add up where you make up for the talent deficiencies on the roster. Yeah, I, I think you're right on with that. And especially, you know, that 
you could make fun of us for going into depth on, on the chemistry and the vibes or whatever. But I, I think you're right on that. Like you said, yes, it, it's way more productive when the our guys are actually believing each other. They have that real chemistry on and off the court. And especially in a league where there's so much parity, because we're going to go on to talk about, you know, how real is this Oklahoma City run that they're on right now? How scary are they coming out of the West? Are they perhaps the team to be? And we're going to get into that. But when when there is so much parity in the league, like th- that little stuff matters. And and again, you were right on. You, you mentioned that interview that I saw yesterday. You mentioned uh, Chet getting his jersey retired in high school. And just to clarify that, he's from Minneapolis. So this was obviously made sense for him to get his jersey retired, you know, the night before they played the Timberwolves. I did see everybody there except Josh Giddy. Uh, I did not see him in oh. the picture. <laughs> Probably not the best time for him to be hanging around high schools. I just we gotta we gotta throw that out there. You know, you know that's so that's the one. In in what I would give to to be a fly on the wall because I don't even I think a lot of the reporters that even cover the Thunder don't know the intricacies of that situation because the the family of the alleged individual involved isn't talking. Giddy's not talking. The police said that the family wasn't willing to cooperate with the investigation. Um, we'll see what the NBA turns up with that investigation. But, I mean, it's been – I've never seen a lack of leaking information of an investigation to this extent. And and that's pretty crazy. I, I, I've been trying to think about a similar situation. Have you ever have, – Nick, have you ever heard of something like this where it's something like this happens and just no one knows what actually happened? No, and, and especially not in this. And again, just what we're talking about, just to make sure that anyone that's living under a rock, we're talking about this situation with Josh Giddy allegedly, you know, being involved with an underage girl. But it's it's really complicated because it's a lot of hearsay. And especially in this era where everything's on social media. And so the fans saw enough on social media for people to assume something may or may not have happened that would you know potentially be illegal and all that stuff. And so it's interesting because... The important thing is it has such a real effect on that team. Like, you know, again, we say the vibes are high with this team and for their most important players on the Oklahoma City Thunder, it is. But that being said, like, that guy gets booed in every arena that he goes to. Like, even in Minneapolis last night, they're booing the shit on Josh Giddey. And if he did do something really messed up, then he absolutely, you know, he deserves more than boos. But the problem is it's all hearsay right now. When it first, when all that news first broke, Giddy was even getting booed in Oklahoma City, like at home games, he was getting booed. And and we'll probably touch on this a little bit later um, when we get into trades and stuff. But I do think I, I understand that you can't let in instances like this factor into necessarily trades that could happen. But I, I, I can't help but a part of me can't help but think like, the one guy that feels expendable out of all of the Thunders players that they've caballed through trades and drafting feels like Josh Giddy because he's an off guard that doesn't shoot too well, that doesn't score the ball at a ridiculous rate. He does a little bit of everything, a jack of all trades, master of none. And so if you're not going to get elite level shooting from your off guard and SGA already doesn't like to take high volume threes, he feels like the guy on the outside looking in when it comes to who is going to be part of the championship core of the Thunder moving forward. And, and a guy with this much negative air around him, also, that doesn't help his cause in saying, well, he's a locker room asset either. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, that is quite literally the dark cloud hanging over the team. And then, you know, you still have to credit some of the things he does extremely well on the court, especially for a guy that was really beloved in all circles before this controversy this year, uh, of having guys like that that are okay with not necessarily getting the shots on a given night. And, you know, 
if you had to point to his biggest strength, it's just a playmaker. The guy makes plays, he finds open teammates, he's unselfish, and there's a lot of positive things you can say about his game. And, you know, and there's always the risk of like, hey, even though he might not be uh, the most popular player in the league right now, to say the least, you know, removing a guy like that from a team is really risky. But, you know, I, I think the more important thing before we kind of dive into, you know, what moves to make and is Giddy the guy that's on the block is just, you know, the ceiling of this team at this point in time and, and really, like what you said in your opening point, it comes back to Chet Holmgren, right? Like he was, you know, the unknown heading into this season and the leap that he's taken, you know, to average 17, 7, and 3 uh, with two and a half blocks on just insane shooting percentages like you touched upon, nearly 40% from deep. Has this guy already surpassed like kind of the ceiling you had on this guy as a fan and especially after missing his entire rookie season? I've thought about this question a lot and, and I don't want this to feel like just a hot take to have a hot take. Um but I think that Chet Holmgren can be um, a lot, not everything, but a lot of what NBA pundits thought Victor Wembenyama's ceiling was. And, and when I say that, I mean that when you look, just parse through the numbers. Now, granted, Chet's in a far better situation than Victor in terms of team and talent um, I mean, Victor's playing with, I'm sorry, Sohan is not a point guard. Like, <laughs> I think we know that. Guess, we can all agree on that. <laughs> I think that Chet and, and Victor are going to inherently be compared just because of the weird timing of Chet didn't play his rookie year and is playing in the year that is supposed to be Victor's year as a rookie. Um, and everyone likes to believe that oh, Chet's ceiling is just an all-NBA guy while Victor's ceiling is an all-generational guy. And I don't think that it's that simple. I, I think Chet can be an all-generational type of big in the league because you look at the things that he does really well, right? Shoot the ball. He He's one of the best players I've seen as a rookie at playing the rule of verticality where he understands that he's like seven foot one. If he just jumps straight up with his hands in the air, he will block more shots than not. Um, and on top of that, he's only going to get stronger. I, I'm not a guy that like, oh, he needs to bulk up. I think he needs functional strength where you may not look like you're jacked, but no one's going to move you off your spot. And so to me, that is the next progression for Chet. Um, but to me, the ceiling for him is an all-generational type big. And that's not just my fan hubris. I just genuinely think he's that talented. Because if you look at the improvement he's made in terms of his offensive arsenal from Gonzaga to now, that's two years ago, right? Where at Gonzaga, you saw him primarily around the rim. You saw him diving to the rim a lot. You saw him put back dunks, tip dunks. That was kind of his game and because he was bigger than everyone in college. And he gets to the NBA and he recognizes that, oh, wow, I'm playing with SGA who likes to get downhill. So where will I find a lot of soft spots in the defense? It's when I pop or I fade out or I read the screen and say, all right, let me brush off. And, and then you see him. And, and, and so I think the next progression for him in my mind where his game can be taken to the next level is if he gets the mid-range game down pat, if he has yeah. a – if they take if they run him off the three point line, him being able to pull up in the mid range and not have some of the the reckless takes to the rim where he's he's flying all over the place and you don't really know what the plan is, you know. And I mean this comp genuinely when I say I I don't think that he's he he's just another white big that can shoot. But 
I think he's everything that people thought Porzingis was going to be. And that's not a knock on Porzingis. He's a fine player. As you know, one of my favorite players. Sure. But Chet is everything people thought Porzingis was going to be and could be. Yeah. I mean, my biggest takeaway is just like, you know, and it sounds naive and I don't want to be dismissive of all the wonderful things you said about him was like, first of all, like, the dude's a center. Like, there was there was some real discourse about, like, what, you know, is he going to be, like, you know, complimentary alongside another big? Like, this dude can hold up, and you see it in games like last night. Like, there really might not be any harder test on the physicality of a player than, you know, we can make fun of the Timberwolves for, you know, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns being perhaps two of the most corny players in the entire NBA. And I'd, I'd advocate for that personally, as a matter of fact. But those guys are tough to, go, like, to guard, to go up against, and, like, you know, Chet blocked Rudy's shot at the rim multiple times and was like, and had even a couple more where he deterred shots. And, like, he's not afraid to jump with anybody despite that slight frame that he's obviously heard about his whole life. But, you know, that's kind of the thing, right? Like, I, you know, I, I played against Chet in a pickup game when he was, like, you know, 15 years old when I was working for the Timberwolves. And, like, you know, he looked the same then. Like, he never had that fat phase where he, like, you know, got wide and then shot up, right? Like, he's used to this. So, you know, he gets pissed off when people ask him about the, the weight gaining stuff and all that. So, I think you're right on with the functional strength. And you're right. Like, that mid-range game, if he's able to unlock that. And, and the positive thing is that, you know, he he's not shown us any signs that he's not going to be able to do that, right? Like, the free throw mm-hmm. shooting's great. The three-point shooting's great. And even last night, he, he had a move on Gobert where he, like, you know, kind of did, like, a, a little spin turnaround, like, in, in the lane. And I was like, wow, like, that was really polished. So, you know, you'd imagine, like, you know, you could see him kind of, you know, taking a page out of Embiid's book. And uh, obviously, he's never going to have that physical presence of Embiid. But still having that mid-range jumper could definitely unlock some stuff for him moving forward. I guess that leads us to the next point because th- they got their center, right? They got the guy that they were missing last year. And you can, you know, make the argument they could still use some depth behind them. But, like... As of right now, at this point in time, if you knew Sam Presti was going to keep everything on lock, and let's just obviously assume for the sake of this argument, good health, can this Thunder team win the championship as they are currently constructed? Yes, and I'll give you my reason why. One, I, I think that the NBA has never felt more wide open and say you could say that I'm disrespecting the Denver Nuggets and and I'll take it right but in my head the way I think about a series is that it, it comes down to if you have the best guard and then a quasi big that can hold up his his own against Jokic those are the two things that will define whoever can make it out of the west this year I think the Thunder have that and that like Chet is not going to go pound for pound with Jokic but he's also not going to like score zero points and be a complete non-factor like any other big that the Thunder had last year. SGA, in terms of the the type of shot creator he is, will always keep you in a game, regardless of with your if you're down 10, 12, you know, a quarter to go. It, he's one of those guys where you never feel completely out of it just because of how easily he can score 16 points in a quarter. And then if you go down the roster, Lou Dort's the type of guy that, that teams dream of, right? That 6'5", super switchable wing defender who's just a bulldog. Like, And then don't let him get hot. And playoff Dort is a real thing. I don't care what anyone says. Playoff Dort is a real thing. In in every big game, you'll it'll be like SGA 30, and then Lou, Lou Dort has like 27 on like four made threes. And... And he's, he's one of those guys that gets up for big games. And so you, you can't discount that. And the reason I think also that the Thunder can win a championship as constructed, m- my real X factor, I think, is 
Jalen Williams because I think him as your third guy behind SGA and Chet, I don't think there is many teams in the West that have a third guy that is that good. And and so if you have the best guard in the series and then you have Chet who, in my, again, my barometer is the Nuggets, right, because they're the team that came out of the West this past year. And so you have Chet who's not, who's not going to be a complete scrub going up against Jokic. And I think that Jalen Williams is better than Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr. or insert whoever is going to come along with Murray and Jokic on any given night. To me, that is the reason that he is one of the best third options that you could have in the league right now because he, he represents exactly where positionless basketball is going. That guy can realistically play one through four and be fine at, at, at any spot on the floor. Um, and he, like SGA, has this real knack for getting to his preferred spots on the floor. And he, like SGA, can score 10 to 12 points in a quarter. And in a playoff game where oftentimes one quarter or one half can swing a series, say it's a game five, right? Between those two, I just feel that the Thunder can can punch with anybody. And then coming out of the East, I, I mean, my my theory, it's either going to be Boston or Milwaukee or Philadelphia, and insert who is playing the best come, you know, the end of the season. That's where the matchups get harder, but I, I don't necessarily think that OKC can't play with any of them at the same time. Now, and I don't necessarily disagree with any of the points you made, but maybe this is just some curmudgeon in me that I just can't get there quite yet at this point in time. And now look, you know, I did a, a tier ranking podcast, you know, last episode about a week ago when I, you know, put every NBA team in a tier and I actually had the Thunder in one piece away because I do feel like that extra big man is going to be so important during the playoffs. And it's a little bit of that and a little bit of that weakness and size that we've kind of talked about. And then the second piece of it just is, is history, right? It's just so hard for these teams that seemingly come out of nowhere. And I know that there were signs and SGA was unbelievable and, and a first team all NBA selection last year. But in terms of team success, you know, this is a team that hasn't won a playoff series since 2016 with obviously, you know, Durant and Westbrook. On top of that, I think they had, you know, obviously SGA had some play, a playoff appearance in what was that, the bubble season with Chris Paul and everything like that, which was a cool mm -hmm. moment. I think they went seven games with the Rockets and fell short. But still, like this young core, to have their team win their first playoff series and then, you know, go beyond that and, and contend in the same season, like, you just don't see that happen. Now, maybe this Oklahoma City team is that special of a group. And I think the biggest piece that I agree with you on is on Jalen Williams, because I think that guy is so impressive. And frankly, I think offensively, he's more of their second option than their third, just because, you know, Chet at this point in time is a little bit more predictable than everything that Jalen Williams can do. But mm -hmm. he's followed Shea in his lead, right? Like you see these guys, like Shea's obviously putting up 31 a game. Jalen Williams is putting up 19, 20 points. And neither one of them take more than like three threes a game. Like they just get better looks than you down the stretch. So as much as I see that, I just feel like that backup big, especially when the game slows down, especially when the physicality increases, and especially knowing that they're going to have to go through a team like Denver, uh, I'd be really shocked if they weren't. And at least a seven-game series with Minneapolis, where the fin or with Minnesota rather, where that physicality could be even more important. I, I do feel like getting that extra big I man is, is so Rudy important. I don't trust in a playoff series. Oh, that, hell no. That, to, 
hell no. Hell no. I, they were in the same tier as the Timberwolves, man. They were both in that one piece away. Because I think I think they're very – it was such a fun game last night because these teams are really are on a, a relatively similar trajectory. Obviously, the, the future is brighter in OKC because of the youth. But both teams need to get that monkey off their back before they can really contend, in my opinion. But to your point about one piece away, in, in your mind, what is that one piece? Because I, I, I've thought through it a lot because you could say it's the, the backup big. But but in my in my estimation, I genuinely, I genuinely think that it's more so a switchable wing that is a better shooter. And so when you when you sent over like, oh, think about trade ideas of if you're OKC, right? And and. Sam Presti has gave no inclination that he he's going to make any moves at the trade deadline. But I was thinking about how Masai said the Raptors are sellers. Like there, he said, there's definitely more trades coming. And then what popped into my head <laughs> at the time was Gary Trent Jr. Because to me, he kind of represents that shooting concern that much of the Thunder have. Where in a playoff series, you're going to need a guy who can kind of knock down catch and shoot threes, has a little bit of create your own offense, can play the two and the three, isn't a complete zero on defense. And I think the Thunder have enough length to cover up his inadequacies. And so I was thinking about him immediately in terms of the type of piece that it could be one piece away. And then I also thought about um, not too far away from me nowadays in Charlotte, uh, Gordon Hayward. That that was my other one where – that guy, he kind of is a do-it-all wing, and he's in the area of his career where he can't be your fulcrum anymore, but he wouldn't have to be. Sure. And and, and he'd be an older upgrade to basically what Josh Giddy does for the Thunder right now. And With, with he's, still he's the ability to shoot the ball, too, for sure. What What would be your one move that you'd make if you were the Thunder? Yeah, I think you're right on because I was kind of thinking of, you know, my first instinct was, of course, a big like I've harped on already. I think that there's enough guys out there on lower level non-contending teams that should be available. Guys like Nick Claxton over in Brooklyn, guys like, you know, Vucevic in Chicago, if they can make that work with the finances. I haven't got the, dusted off the trade machine for that. Gafford in Washington, Stewart for the Pistons, uh, even Jared Allen for the Cavs. Like any of those guys, I would feel a lot better about having that physicality and that depth behind behind Chet Holmgren, of course. But I think you're right on with that that secondary piece, right? Because if you bring in a Gary Trent or better yet, a Gordon Hayward, it makes it really dangerous for them to be able to, again, you know, Giddy being the black sheep here in this situation, you know, move him to the bench <laughs> if he's not hitting shots uh, at the end of games, like mm -hmm. just to have that floor spacing. In the right game, if Shea is is cooking and Jalen Williams is cooking and they're getting to their spots, you're obviously still going to have shit out there. Maybe it'd be better suited to get an additional floor spacing threat alongside of Lou Dort or to have an extra guy to put in that play in Lou Dort's place if he's not hitting shots or whatever. But having that, you know, couple shooters, couple guys that are, are feisty on defense to go along with two guys that are constantly attacking the hoop and Chet, uh, I think that you're right on with that. And then you add in that big, you know, for me, the big would still be the priority, but I think any of those guys could be really good targets for the Thunder. I can't imagine that the Cavs would, would give up on, on Jared Allen, though. I, I, Cleveland's such an interesting team to me because they keep saying that they're they're not blowing it up they're not doing anything but the the clock is ticking and the results aren't aren't there 
And what's funny is they're actually in the midst of probably their best stretch of the season, and they've done it without Garland and without Mobley, and Mitchell looks awesome, but the the elephant in the room is that the, all the whispers are that he doesn't want to be there and that he's not going to resign, <laughs> so you might as well move him out. So I'm still, despite their recent success in the camp that I think Donovan Mitchell does get moved, so I, I think I'm – that's why I think Jared Allen would be acquirable. He certainly looks – less acquirable than he was, you know, about six weeks ago when the Mobley and Garland injuries first happened and there were already the bad vibes and whatever. But either way, I just think having that ability where, like, look, you're not putting in, for lack of his nickname, the other Jalen Williams in interesting spots in playoff matchups where he's having to guard a Jokic or a Carl Towns or something like that. I'm confident from everything I've seen with Chet. I know we literally have not seen it in the NBA yet, him playing alongside a more traditional center. But all the, the skill sets that he have makes me feel very confident that he'd be able he'd be just fine. So I feel confident that you could trot out him next to a Nick Claxton against Denver or against Minnesota without limiting their offense too much from what I've seen from his game. Would you would you call up Toronto and try to inquire about Bruce Brown? I mean, I, I know he's he's having a bad a, a relatively down year compared to his year within with the Nuggets and then the deal he got with Indiana and then he was kind of in that Pascal deal and if you're the Thunder, I think that would be a pretty interesting because he could he could function as as your backup guard. He he can shoot a little bit. He he's a, a championship caliber role player. Yeah. Um, I actually like the now that you say that I like that more than Hayward. I like that more than Gary Trent. Just somebody that's actually gotten over the hill recently too. Like obviously you know being mm-hmm. on a team last year that won the title with Denver. Of course, I think absolutely. And and again, I mentioned this a little bit in the open of my pod, but yeah. Bruce Brown is, is a part of that Pascal Siakam compensation package because I'd imagine they're they're keeping him nice and warm for about three weeks and then he <laughs> should be playing on Philadelphia or or Oklahoma City or something like that. But I think he'd be Philly, a really awesome guy. Bruce Brown with Philadelphia. Now, that would be interesting. Yeah. I, I, I've been so shocked by the Sixers. I, I thought they were going to be one of the most gross teams to watch and that the vibes would be horrible and no one would be having fun and – it's been quite the opposite. I was, I'm, I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of figured the vibes would be good, but hey, it's still January, baby. The, the Philly has plenty of time to hurt their fans, dude. I'm not. Again, I, I was talking about this. I put Philly in one piece away too. I was like, dude, like, they're they have a great coach. They have a great team. The vibes are awesome. I love, I love Tyrese Maxey. Embiid might be playing even better this year when he's actually out there. And you know, at this point in time, I. I it's just my deep-rooted distrust of Philadelphia that I feel like, you know, there's something hanging over that franchise that they're not going to be able to get it done. So uh, What's but... hanging over it is that, you know, Embiid has kind of built his track record on beating up on bad regular season teams. And then like, I don't understand why Embiid doesn't catch more flack for how many playoff meltdowns he's had where he's just been bad. Absolutely, dude. He... He, he, nobody annihilates the Charlotte Hornets quite like Joel Embiid. I mean, nobody goes out <laughs> to Detroit on, on a cold February evening and just shits all over the Pistons quite like Joel Embiid. No, I, I mean, he's, he's got an incredible stretch where I think he's got like 30 points in like his last, I don't even know, I think it's like a 20-something game stretch, like the longest stretch in league history behind Wilt and then James Harden's when he was cooking with the Rockets. So, I mean, he's playing great ball, but again, I, I'm not as worried about Philly as much, bringing it all back to the Thunder. Regardless of the other teams that we can consider are, are in the hunt or real contenders, they all seem to have somebody that with their physicality and their size that really scares you. I mean, maybe with the exception of Phoenix and Golden State, if you even consider those guys threats at this point in time, but like, I just see a lot of teams out there that would still beat up on the Thunder. So the better question would be, 
you know, if you are Sam Presti and you are getting the keys handed over to you at the deadline, he's coming to Ian to obviously make a move. Are you worried about disrupting the chemistry at all? This kind of goes to my philosophy that of the NBA in the past four years. As we've seen the aging of the Warriors dynasty and the competition open up, I don't think veterans and the idea of a veteran nearly matter as much. Like guys like PJ Tucker, who pisses me off because somehow he remained in the league an extra like three years and he should have just because he's a veteran that wants to play football while everyone is trying to play basketball. Like the notion of needing those guys to win is so outdated in my mind that like PJ, you're putting up straight zeros on the stat sheet, but you're hey, he worked real hard you. guarding Durant all those playoff series when he was literally <laughs> returning like Durant. three points a game on the other end. And Durant's going for That's 40. I, I feel like a lot of this stuff in, in whatever, call me a couch coach or, or a guy that looks at the numbers too much. And that I, there's something I'm missing when I look at the box score and, and I watch a game, right. And the veterans that make money off of being the, the utility defenders in the league and, and you see them play and you're like, man, I forgot you were out there. And, and then they're like, oh yeah, but he was guarding their best player. And then you look at the best player stat line and the, they have like 45 points, 12 rebounds, 12 assists, shooting like 60% from the field. It's like, congrats. You ran through a whole bunch of screens and got cooked. Uh, and so with the aging of the Warriors dynasty and a bit of my philosophy, I don't think that you necessarily need veterans to win championships anymore. And at times, I think veterans hurt your chances to win championships because they oftentimes come with larger salaries just because of how the salary scale is, is made in the NBA. And, and good for you. Experience should earn you money. But what you really need in covering the Mavs during their run to the Western Conference Finals taught me this. What you really need is a crop of really good, above-average role players playing a style of basketball that complements their skills. It's why I was quite high, actually, on the Sacramento Kings headed into the playoffs last year. I was out of all of my, my, my friends that did playoff picks. I was the one that picked them to go to the Western Conference Finals. Now, that didn't happen because of Steph Curry happened. But the reason I was so high on them and everyone was kind of iffy on them and they thought the Warriors would just steamroll them was playoff experience. And again, I think that's a farce. It just comes down to matchups. And in, in, in the playoffs specifically, it comes down to, do you have a set of players that I know that I have that you can't guard? And for the Thunder, given the right matchup, I don't think many teams match up well with them at all, actually. And and so if I'm Sam Presti, I'm not touching the team yet. I, I As he said at the start of the season, we haven't even finished our breakfast. So see how the year plays out. You have nothing to lose anyway. And then that gives you a full off season to look at, especially with how it shapes out. Like say you fizzle out in the first round and you fizzle out by way of like getting completely bullied by say the Lakers are like a seven seed, right? And you get completely bullied by Anthony Davis and whatever big that the Lakers are going to pick up off the scrap heap that is the buyout market and whatever. And you get completely just dog walked then you know like okay this is a concern that we can address either through the draft or through free agency or making a deal and so i'm not touching the team let's finish our breakfast and see if we're still hungry that is an interesting take i was i was wondering where you're gonna land on that one and i have to say i disagree just because 
I hear you, and I think it makes sense. And and you know, you're in this perfect situation where part of the reason the vibes around this team are so fantastic is that everything's relative to expectations, right? We and you are sitting here. We we loved Shea last year, and and yet we both picked them to go to in the play-in tournament, and they're sitting here at, at one game out of of leading their conference. And so they're playing with house money at this point, right? They've already exceeded the expectations, and it's looking like it's almost a certainty, bearing good health, that they're going to have a home playoff matchup to start things off. So they're in a great spot, and this is probably going to be a W of a season no matter what. But what I always just warn is just that, like, hey, man, like, these these windows close faster than you think. And if you're in this situation where you are so well-equipped, there is so much parity at the top, and most people would put Oklahoma City in that top tier, it would be a, a much worse and a, and a much different situation if, you know, you had to give up a, a really important piece of your core and your future in order to get that extra bench big man or you know wing player or veteran or whatever have you but the thing is that the the thunder have such a, a war chest of assets of picks that they're going to use it's really just about making the salaries work because they're not going to have to really chip in any sort of talent that on their current roster anybody that's playing real minutes for them you know as long as they can make the finances work they're going to be able to just you know put a first round pick on the table and, and overpay for somebody just to bring them into the building. Like, you know, provided you can find the right team that is looking to move on from talent on, on a lower tiered team that's not actually contending. And everyone we've kind of talked about is on those teams. So clearly those guys are out there. As long as you can do that, you don't have to trade a Josh Giddy if you really don't want to, right? You just have to find a way to, you know, you take that Davis Bertans money and you group that into something else, right? So I think you, you do it. And I think I would actually be pretty frustrated if the Thunder at least didn't entertain the backup big man position. I understand your veteran logic, but I, I think if you, there's really no harm in trading for like a Nick, Nick Claxton type or something like that. I don't think he really disrupts everything that this is going to do. You know, maybe if you bring in a Bruce Brown, people start looking around like, oh shit, we're trying to win this thing. And maybe the vibe switch and all that stuff, maybe that throws it off. But I think that they have to go out there and make a move personally. That's just me. To your point, in that I understand windows close a lot sooner than anyone ever expects them to. Do you remember when James Harden was traded to Brooklyn and everyone thought the NBA was over and and that lasted a whopping, what was it, like 13 months, not yeah, even? It was like a total of like 30 games or something like that, that the three of them were actually all out there together in Brooklyn. And so I get, I get what you're saying in that if you are really good now, then be really good now. But I also know that Sam Presti is a really smart guy. And I think... He learned something in the last decade of the Thunder being really good. If you if you recall, with the the last decade of, of Thunder basketball before this SGA, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Lou Dort, Chet Holmgren iteration of the team, um, before the the Paul George and Carmelo Russell Westbrook weird three year stretch, the the decade before that where you had KD, you had Russell Westbrook, and and then it was always kind of this amalgamation of guys after that, right? And everyone always said, oh, if they could just find this one shooter. I, I vividly remember the Kendrick Perkins deal, and everyone would always wonder why Kendrick Perkins played because he was ne never good. Never. Um, but I think Presti learned something from, from those times. And like, if you base the moves you make on the current day's logic or – whatever you, you deem is, is the logical 
sensical move because you feel this external pressure, right? Like we're good right now. We need to do something. And, and that was very much what happened with the thunder. It was like the thunder surprised everybody. They were really good because KD and Russell Westbrook turned out to be superstars. And Serge Ibaka was like a shot blocking menace. And, and so we have this really good team. What do we do? What do we, what do we do? And, and so then you, you get Kendrick Perkins, right? And he's supposed to be kind of this veteran assurance big that he won a championship with the Celtics and he was supposed to be all all of this and then you were kind of stuck with him and it was kind of one of those pusher chips into the table and then because Kendrick Perkins was now on the team then you're forced to make a tough decision between Abaka and Harden and so I I think coming out of that he Sam Presti always talks about sustained success and what does sustained success look like it means that regardless of external pressure, you adhere to your philosophies. And I, I do believe that a lot of those ideas set in after those Thunder teams consistently failed because those Thunder teams were always reacting to external pressures of what people believed they should do with the team. And Presti, he's, he's older. I think he's wiser. And he's at a place where I don't think he feels that he needs to prove anything to anybody. And that's why he's like, okay, yeah, you guys may say I should make a deal, but that doesn't mean I'm going to. What happens when or if you don't make a deal and the group that you have is legit, right? And it is actually the second best team in the league and you actually end up in the Western Conference Finals. I, I almost think that you might as well figure that one out so that you know now. Because Chet and SGA are going to be good next year, barring any injury. So might as well just ride it out and, and see what, what else you need. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's definitely an argument to be made, especially, you know, appreciate you providing that kind of unique perspective of, you know, what that Thunder team looked like before and remembering that he's the same guy that, you know, had this unbelievable young trio before and then somehow they, they walked away from that situation with three first ballot Hall of Famers and they don't have a championship to show for it. So it is really fascinating how things... Mm. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Got real somber for you there at the end. But I, I think that there's it, it's quite interesting. I think the unique thing about this particular situation is just that if it's me, it's like I'm, I'm, I feel those picks like, you know, a fat stack of cash, like burning a hole in my pocket. Like you already have so many to the point where I don't even know if you can re like cash in on all those picks. Like if you're, you know, you're sitting here at the trade deadline and maybe you're a piece away or whatever, but you are right in that, hey, it's going to be easier to evaluate. It's going to be easier to get somebody for a, a good deal and for good value in the off season. And, and that's going to be a more of a time to be reflective on, on what this team actually needs. And you can be more measured with your approach and make the money work and everything like that. So I understand the advantages of waiting, but just, you know, part of the reason I'm so high on this team is just because I, I do think they can get it done, but I think they need that extra piece. But I don't think they're going to make a move, though. That's just me. I don't think Presti actually does anything, and I think I'm wasting a whole lot of breath about it, but I think they absolutely should. <laughs> yeah, we we probably are, but, but you know, I, I call him the Socrates of the NBA. That's my, my nickname for him. Because you never really know what he's going to do. He, I think he just tries stuff sometimes, and yeah. it works out. Like, I, I remember – during the really dark days of the rebuild, I, I watched way too many Poku minutes, and and you, you were you were wondering where it's heading and where it's going. But it all started to make sense because if you think about Poku, what Poku represented, right? Poku was this you've got a skinny... type. <laughs> Pressy's got a yeah, type. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of like this skinny big that that can shoot a little bit, handle the ball a little. He was basically like if Chet Holmgren was bad at basketball, yes. but had the same build. Yep. 
And we can't forget and, about Usman so, Jang right in the middle of those two, right? Like, I, I think we can we can put him in the Poku camp. I don't think he's going to be turned into another Chet anytime soon, but go on. <laughs> and, and, and so the, Presti's always thinking about sustained success, and sustained, sustained success is built by following a philosophy and not deviating terribly from that philosophy. Like, no one is going to be walking in Oklahoma City and putting a gun to his head and telling him to make a deal and – I, I think about the situation very similar to 2014 where uh, in college football when the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, won a championship with Cardell Jones as their quarterback, 12-gauge as they called him. And it was this idea of like, yeah, their starting quarterback got hurt and then Cardell Jones was like kind of winning games. And so you just roll with it, you know? Like what do you lose? Because if you lose, yeah, it's like we were playing our third-string quarterback at that point. If you win – it's like we won with a backup, backup quarterback, and that's exactly what happened. And and so these unique situations in sports present themselves as these win-win situations. That, okay, if the Thunder make the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals this year, great, right? Like, And especially if they lose, it's like, great, this team is ahead of schedule. Um, but if they also fizzle out in the second round or first round, it's like, okay, well, it, this year was a learning experience. And and I don't think people in sports take that level of assurance lightly. And they don't want to rush along expectations because it's expectations that cost you your job. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that you hit it right on the head at the closing point there of it being relative to expectations. And sure, if they can get get through a playoff series win and kind of get that monkey off their back like we were kind of talking about before and check that box and then you go into the offseason and then you have all this time and you still have you know your your big three, if you will. And I'm always hesitant to use that terminology, but I really do think – what the Thunder has cooking with Shea, Jalen Williams, and Chet is warranted of, of that type of praise, especially when you consider the ages of all those guys and the contract situation. I think that's what they're going to end up doing is probably holding holding tight, seeing how far they can go you know, with this lack of expectations and, and gain some experience for this team. But Ian, I do want to talk to you because we are looking at – it's all-star season, right? So I do want to kind of get your take and pick your brain there because I think we have at least one surefire starter coming from your Oklahoma City Thunder. But before we kind of shift topics – to go on to the all-star stuff, any any closing remarks on your Oklahoma City Thunder before we move on? Just know that if anyone wants to send me fan gear, um, extra <laughs> large is, is my size. Feel free to send me any hats, crewnecks. Um, uh, for, uh, I'm, I'm getting fitted for my 2024 NBA Finals hat that, that okay. I'll, I'll be rocking. All right. <laughs> can, we get, can we get the loves patch on any sort of fan gear too? Like if they have like the only jersey patch in the entire league that I'm like, that looks sick. Like something about the bright yellow it, patch on the out. blue. It looks tough, dude. Yep, it works out. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll have to let the fans know where they can send that good stuff. But before we let you go, again, all-star season is upon us now. As far as I know, they're announcing the All-Star starters later this week, and then we have an, uh, mm -hmm. an additional week before they announce the reserves where it gets real interested and everyone gets butthurt about the snubs and everything like that. So just for the sake of today, since the All-Star starters uh, are going to be announced later this week, the fan voting officially closed yesterday on Saturday the 20th. I need to, to ask you, Ian, I asked you to prepare your starting lineup for the East and the West, and this is kind of like a, a quasi version of the way we look at the All-NBA teams and everything like that. But just give me your starters, and we'll start off in the Western Conference. Who do you have as your Western Conference NBA All-Star starters, if it was all up to you? All right. If, if it's my vote, and only my vote, my team is the following for the West. SGA is, is guard number one. Luka is guard number two. 
Then I have Kawhi, LeBron, and Jokic. I have one one switch there. Can you guess what, what player is, is out? Guess which player I have um, differently. LeBron? Yeah. I had LeBron out. I can't do it with the Lakers. I mean, I would think that LeBron still he would still be in, in a reserve for sure. But I actually That's had That's that Boston. You're just jaded, man. You're you're jaded that the Lakers tied you in titles, man. I'm just jaded that they're under five hundred and we still have to like sit and parade around like nothing's wrong because they're gonna be hanging like a McDonald's banner for their in season tournament win in, in <laughs> Staples Center. But I actually gave the nod to Durant over LeBron. Uh, and I think it's pretty close because I did look at that Durant spot and I felt the weakest about it. But just to go back, I agree with you. Shea and Luca are locks. And and the, it is so competitive for guards in the West. So the fact that those two, I don't think there's going to be much disagreement with. Those two should be your you all-star think Kyrie stars. makes it as a reserve? I don't. I'll, I'll, I'll spoil. I don't want to go spoil all my reserves, but I'll tell you right now, Kyrie is not on there. No, not for me. Not Certainly not in the Western Conference either. Really? And I wouldn't even put him in my top five of, of snubs either. Like, look, I know he's had a good season and everything like that, but it, it's really hard to be a team that produces two all-stars, especially in the Western Conference. And I'm not giving that nod to the five-seed Mavericks at this point in time. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. But, all right, I, I think we're we're pretty in much in lockstep for the West because I didn't feel super passionate about Durant versus LeBron. That's definitely a debate. But move on and, and give me your starting five for the East. So in the East, I have Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Maxey, Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid. All right. I have one discrepancy, and I actually had a different Tyrese. I went with Tyrese Halliburton over Tyrese Maxey. That was uh, that was my big shift. I, what are your thoughts on that? I, I don't think you can go wrong either way. I, I in, my, in my estimation, I picked Maxey as a starter just because of how much he's improved this year compared to last year. A lot of that – it's funny because Halliburton's been this good, but, like, we just didn't pay attention to it last year because the Pacers were dreadful. But, like, Halliburton was doing the exact same stuff he's doing this year. And so that's been very fascinating to see because the Pacers aren't, like, a dreadful basketball team anymore. And and maybe it's that it took Rick Carlisle a year to kind of get his bearings as a head coach over there and, and get everyone rowing in the same direction. But – I can understand Halliburton over Maxi just because of the playmaking factor. Like Halliburton is, I, I don't know if it's crazy to say it, but I feel that Halliburton is on par in terms of his propensity as a scorer. Like if Halliburton wanted to score 40 a night, I genuinely feel that he could, but it's his game. He'd much rather get 18, 19, 20 points a night and then give you 12, 13 assists. I think what was it like last night he had a like 17 assist game or 16 assist game and he does it regularly at this point. It's just routine. Yeah. It's unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, again, it's hard to, you know, Maxi still would definitely, you know, spoiler alert. He will be on my all-star team in the East. I just, you know, again, couldn't in good faith put two sixers in the starting five. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. So, cause I know Embiid's obviously (laughs) a lock in the front court. So that crossed my mind as well. Tyrese Halliburton is just so, you know, he's just such an engine for that team. Like, I don't know if there's any one team that's more dependent on the success of one player. Like, you know, you really have to put him in that same, you know, Jokic conversation for everything he does for Denver, you know, in that conversation of everything that Luka does for the Mavericks. You know, Tyrese is that to the Indiana Pacers. And so for him to be putting up 24 and 13, I he was actually the first guard I had down. And then I was kind of debating between, you know, Maxi and Brunson. But Brunson's just been on such a heater lately and really has that Knicks team playing well. So I had to give him the nod for It's still kind of the way so he shocking that, that Randall was the Knicks' all-star last year over Brunson. I thought and about that no too. No shade to Randall. 
<laughs> like, like Randall's a fine player. I and I mean that's a whole other podcast. Like, what do the Knicks do with him? I I don't I don't think they can win anything with Randall personally. But it's so crazy that he made the All Star team over Brunson last year, and then now it's like unanimous. Everyone's like, oh, Brunson's actually the better player. Oh, absolutely, and it, it's especially with the way that he closes games for that team, like. It's kind of funny. I actually forgot that, too, because, you know, that's kind of exciting that, like, Ty- Halliburton, Brunson, and Maxi are all going to be first-time All-Stars in the East for the guards. And those are probably, you know, the first, if I had to name, you know, the three best guards in the East this season, it would definitely be all three of those guys. So that's mm-hmm. awesome, man. Well, we're excited. We're, we're certainly going to have more All-Star talk coming on my next podcast next week where, you know, we go through the reserves and everything like that and talk about the snubs and whatnot. Uh, but, Ian, this has been a blast, man. I'm excited. Uh, certainly lucky to have you on. Appreciate your time, and we're very excited to watch the Thunder and see uh, see who's right about the future of this team moving forward. Look, when we win the 2024 championship, don't don't say I didn't tell you so. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll bring you on to gloat for sure. If if that happens, you'll be the first one I call. We all know that. But uh, awesome, Ian. Anything you want to plug on your way out of here? Oh man, um, just just I don't know. Everyone be happy, man. Life is kind of hectic and stressful. We're 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 in an election year. Make sure to love your neighbors, guys. Our, our neighbors are our friends, not our enemies. Possibly the most pure, definitely the the purest sentiment we've ever had on Word Football. So I was gonna be like, yo, tell them where to find <laughs> all your awesome sports writing, dude, and all all the. I know you do some awesome political contributions as well. And so anyway, Ian's a man, so be sure to check him out. Ian, what's what's the X address at least? At least give me that. Oh, oh, it is I-A-N-I-A-N-K-A-Y. You'll, you'll find all my terrible opinions on there. Perfect, perfect. Well, make sure to give Ian a follow. Appreciate the time. And we will talk to you guys next week with some more NBA All-Star content and whatever everyone else is talking about in the NBA at that time. We will talk to you next week. Peace.